Welcome to The Rock Church, a vibrant, enthusiastic, edgy church meeting in West Bridgeford, Nottingham. You can find out more about us by visiting the-rock.org.uk. We hope you were blessed by this message. So we are going to have our word and we have got um, John Pettifer coming to speak to us this morning. For those of you who've been in church for a while, you know that we call John our Godfather because he is. He's our father in the faith and we are so grateful for him. We'll talk about the word of God today. John is a man of the word. I had the privilege of uh, working at the Christian Center for a few years whilst John was there. So I got to to see John up close and personal. You know, that's always an interesting journey with people. Um, And I I remember a time when the young fellas in the church had asked John if uh, he, he would do some Bible study with them, show them how to study the Bible, show them how to study the Word. And he had a, a lunchtime gathering in his office. And I tagged on, because I'm a big fan of John, and I just thought, I just want to go and, and listen. And, and um, two things out of that, that the, the guys, John, would, John kicked us off, and then he said to the, the young guys, right, it's your turn. And they would come the next week with something. And I'd say, oh, it's good. It's good. And then John would go, with something else. And I'd go, no, that's very good. <laughs> and the other thing, like I said, when you get into someone's personal space, you get to see a little bit of what they are. In John's office, it always used to amaze me. All on one wall, it was floor-to-ceiling books. Encyclopedia of the Bible, concordances, books for giants of the faith, old books, new books. What If it was about the word and it was about something that John was interested in, it was on that wall. I can remember going back to my office and looking at my wall. <laughs> there were some potted plants and pictures of the kids. <laughs> and I thought, do you know what? I started to bring him little books and put them on the shelf, all the books that I'd read. <laughs> so, you know, we are in for a treat. In that last worship song, it said about getting in God's presence and asking him to just challenge where you are in your trust. I know that John, you know, we're talking before, the older we get, the more direct he wants to be the more he wants to make sure we know the word and we know it and sometimes when you get a challenging word you've got to dig deep and trust God that, that you know with my God I can scale a wall with my God I can advance against the true I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me so dig into your trust hear this word as a personal word for you today. And whatever it is, whatever challenge it is, you go, Lord, I'm all in. So are you listening? And let's get John up and see what he's got for us. Thank you, John. Good morning. Great to be with you. Not sure I recognize the bloke she was talking about, but... um, I've got some really bad news. <laughs> the books have gone. <laughs> I've moved house twice since those days, and um, bit by bit, they've been passed. They've not gone. They've been passed on. And um, 
We thank God for those seasons. Well, it's here again, isn't it, this time of year? And um, my, my, my daughter-in-law joyfully got in touch with us a couple of weeks ago, telling us of when the kids, the grandchildren's school nativity was on. And, um, and I went to my diary, and I've got some tragic news. I can't make it. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Lord. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, I love the kids. Is, is there any bloke here with me on this? <laughs> no, no, yeah, there's one or two. Uh, we, 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 they, we love them, and they're, they're great. But, but, you know, and, and, and it's no comment about doing the nativity and getting, getting the people in and, and sharing the gospel. Uh, hallelujah. Uh, oh, Lord, save Joseph and Mary. What, what I can't get over is, is, that, is that these school nativities, they, 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 they work so hard at getting the gingham and, uh, and, you know, and the headdresses on and, and getting Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the angels and the pigs and all that to learn their lines. Uh, and, and, and invariably, there's never a backcloth. And, and I'm watching these kids do their bit with a, with a kind of a lighting gantry and a multimedia display. And somehow or other, I can't quite get to... Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Uh, but backcloths are really important. So I've got a little bit of a drama for you this morning. Um, and and, and there's, there's a, there's a, it's in two acts. Uh, but the drama, the, the backcloth is, is, well, is number one is remember this. God passionately loves you. Now, it's all right you're saying yeah now. Uh, in 10 minutes time, I need you to be saying, God loves me. And the second backcloth is, is what the man was talking about, about, about this thing that we've got, this fearful and wonderful thing called a brain and, and, and our minds. So an Advent, an Advent verse, John 10, the narrative is uh, Jesus talking to his disciples and he says to them, all of you know this that's been in church any time, I have come, Advent, that they may have life and have it to the full. I've, I've been intrigued by that verse for at least 18 months. It's just grabbed my attention, my prayer life, my devotion. Lord, what is this life really like? I, I have no problem about the coming I really believe that. But the life, what, what do you really, really mean about it? And, and, the, and the challenge for us is, is that passages of Scripture like that, they, they, because they're so clear and so great and so encouraging, they, they have the propensity to stand alone. But you can't understand the phrase that Jesus is using if you let the line stand alone. You see, I've got a fantastic daughter-in-law. Uh, some of you know her, Gemma. She is a pocket dynamo. She's, she's full of life. She's bubbly. She's fantastically creative. She's an absolute joy, and I love her to bits. You know there's a book coming. <laughs> if you get in a car with Gemma and go on a bit of a long drive... I, I, I'm, not, I'm not going to be sexist here and say anything about 
her driving, other than I always get right with God before we set off. Um, but but, but she, she's, she's got a fantastic voice. She loves music. And, and, she, and she's always putting albums on and playing them. And, and, and she loves it. She, she, John, listen to this. And she puts a, a song on. I can't hear the song because she's louder than the song. Bellowing it away. And, and she isn't that fantastic? And, and, and she says, I could let her play it. And she plays it again. And, and, and we oh, that's good. And then, and then the next track will come. Oh, no, I don't like that one. Off it goes. And, and I've never heard an album. <laughs> I've never heard an album once with Gemma. It's just bang, bang, bang. Now, you're like that. I'm like that. I just read a bit. Oh, I love that. I'll read it again. But then it goes on to say a bit more. Oh, I'm not sure I get that. I'm not sure if that's a bit historic. I'm not sure that that's relevant today. I'm not sure. I'm not, I, I, that was good for them, but I'm not sure it's contemporary 21st century Ed Walton. Baba, and and we have a selective attitude towards the word of God. So context is really important. So John 10:10 starts like this. Well, it doesn't start like this. We've got the bit, we've got the repeated lyric, we've got the song, the jingle in our mind. I have come that you may have life and life to the full. If some of you are geriatrics like me, you'll have the authorised version that you might have life and more abundantly. Well, it's all good, but what does it mean? And the context is this, that Jesus says, he has come because the devil has come. The thief has come to steal, to rob, to destroy. But I have come so that he doesn't win. That he doesn't take from you what is your birthright. That he doesn't kill you off. That he doesn't fill you with fear. That he stops you from being the person that I am planned you to be wow you see he brings it into context and 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 the context is two observations for us so here's drama number one we live in a very inconvenient reality now convenience well we've got conveniences the old-fashioned word, it just means that you, you, you're not causing too much distress. You can visit and do what you need to do. We have convenient foods. Uh, we, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and something of the 21st century culture is let's make life as convenient as possible. And the Bible comes up with Tones that are very inconvenient. I'd rather not face that. And we live through the word of God with very inconvenient realities. 
But we also, drama two, scene two, we have a hope of a glorious reality. And church, the choice is ours. We'll come to that. So this inconvenient reality, we're at war. I, I love the bit of the gospel that Jesus takes away our fears. I love the bit of the gospel that, that he makes meaning of life. I love the bit of the gospel that he saves us from our sins. I love the bit of the gospel that gives us hope for eternal life. I love it all. But the gospel bringer said, I've come to bring division. I've come to bring conflict. I come with a sword. I come with a mission to defeat the empire of darkness, the one who is called the prince of this world, the one that hates you, the one that wants to destroy you, the one that wants to kill you off spiritually as well as literally. He has come to wage war against him, Satan, and the moment you choose to come to Christ, you've enlisted. Now, I, 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 can, I can debate with you. And the older I get, the more attractive I am to pacifism. I, 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 my dad was a soldier. And, and I'm, I'm a baby boomer. 48, I was born. He came home, saved by God's deliverance through that awful Second World War, met my mom, got saved, got filled with the Holy Spirit, and pop out I came. And, and, and I'm, I'm eternally grateful for my dad's generation because I've lived 75 years on this planet in, quote, peace. And, and I get pacifism. But the spiritual truth, dear friends is that we're at war. You're at war. There's, there's no opting out. There's no conscientious objector here. And, 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 and it's a bit of an ouch. Jesus has come because the enemy has declared war on Jesus' creation. The second inconvenient truth, which is even more ouch, is that the real battle is in your mind. Uh, you, you know, you're on the battlefield. You, you know, okay, John, I can cope that we're in a spiritual battle. I'm going to really pray for Kate and Ali. I'm really going to pray for the elders. I'm really going to pray for the SLT. I'm really going to pray for the prayer leaders. I'm really, I'm really going to get behind you. No, you're in it. It's your battle. Come to Jesus. He'll make you happy. Well, he will. But the reality of this gospel is that we are at lifelong war with the enemy. I'm not going to give you the catalog and the time that we shared happily through the scriptures but 
but, but Paul, he writes to the Romans in chapter 12, and he says, do not be conformed. That's pressed, that's squeezed, that's, that's, that's imprisoned by the spirit of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the way you think. What you think determines the outcome of your life. And you say that again. How and what you think will determine the outcome of your life and my life. He, he writes to the Corinthians and he says, the weapons that we've got, they come against arguments. Where's the arguments around our minds? Pretensions, ideas. Mindsets, he calls them. Argument, things that, and, and he categorized them all, this battle in our minds. The things that go off in our minds are all the, the battleground. It's all the things that stop us knowing God. It doesn't say knowing about God. This word knowing, it's a sexual word. It, it literally means intimacy with the weapons of our warfare are not human. They're not philosophical. They are divine. They come from the Word and the Holy Spirit. Against these, to, to separate, to, against all that works against us, truly knowing Him who we've worshipped this morning. Love the words that we sang this morning. The consequence of this battle is real stark. We're all at war, and it's not a pleasant notion. Gonna one step worse. Well, where are you in this? So this isn't Bible, this is me, so you can reject this straight away. Seems to me these four categories of people at war in the church. There's the frontline troops, doggedly claiming the victory of Jesus in their lives, praying for one another, supporting one another. Thank God for you. It's not about the leaders. It's not about titles. It's not about, it's not about positions. It's not about roles. It's about you saying, I belong to Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's curious. He's boss. I, I, I've got a proneness, Lord, to wander. I really would like a back seat, but you won't allow those thoughts to dominate you. They come, but you'll keep on going, praying, worshipping God when you don't feel like it, praising the Lord, reading the Bible when it ain't convenient, all that stuff. Keep on going. God bless you. It's not sexy. It's not exciting. But it's a traditional commitment to being a warrior for God. God bless. But the church is also populated with the walking wounded. Still going. But not effective. Because something has happened that's incapacitated you. I can really pray for that one or that one. That they will serve. They'll get involved. But, but, but I'm damaged. 
There's things that happened in my past. No, pastor, you can talk to me about anything, but you can't talk to me about that. Issues that, that have long since gone, but are vibrantly alive in your mind and in your bodies because you're walking wounded. It's even worse. There's some who are prisoners of war. They wear the uniform. They've still got the picture of the queen in the Nissan hut where they're held captive. They still go on parade. They still salute. They've got all the right, but they are not in the conflict. They have been disarmed. And there's some of who come faithfully week after week in their uniforms, sing their songs, put their money in the offerings, and they are utterly bound by the enemy. I've been one of them. For a period in my life, probably no more than three months, I was so damaged by how Christians treated my parents that the enemy took me into captivity. Turned up, hated everybody. All of a sudden had a revelation how many hypocrites there were in the church. <laughs> He's a thief, a robber, a liar. And my mind just was utterly bound by the captivity of the devil. I was a prisoner of war. Thanks be to God, he didn't last long. So, so it, it, it's pretty rough stuff. I love Paul, because Paul was a realist. Paul, Paul writes, and let me, let me read to you what, what he writes in, in, in Romans Chapter 7, it's a bit of a long one, but I'm going to read just a, just the little bit. He, he, he encapsulates this struggle. Paul really knew what I was talking about here. He, he identified with it. He, he says this, it seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God. I love his word with all my heart. But there is another law at work within me that is at war. With my mind, this law wins the fight and makes me a slave to the life that the devil's got for me. It's called sin. It's still within me. Oh, what a misery guts I am. That's me. That's how the Greek really translates. Oh, what a wretched man that I am. Who will free me? Who will rearm me? Who will reinvigorate me? Who will equip me with weapons that I can be victorious? Who will get me out of this monotonous slough of, of unfruitfulness, of misery? I won't quit, but, I, but, I, but I'm not victorious. I'm, I'm the walking wounded, and sometimes I'm a prisoner of war. Who will get me out of this? Thank God, he says. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Oh, 
Whew. We've come to the end of scene one. With just a little edge and a barb to it. Oh, Jesus will do it. I, I've, 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 I've had a revelation about grace about 30 odd years ago that helped me in my journey out of a very legalistic Pentecostalism. And, and it wasn't an overnight experience, but month, week by week, month by month, year by year, I started to understand what grace is. And grace is amazing. I have to say to you, I am concerned about the way we teach grace today. Some people treat grace as a Jesus credit card. Oh, I can just get it out my wallet, flash it at the circumstances, Jesus will do it, and I hope you've got enough brains, these things that, what are they? Neurons. Neurons. <coughs> whizzing away in your brain that tells you actually all you're doing is creating more debt yeah, this freedom that you've got is actually getting you into more captivity we can't so Jesus is not just going to turn up and get you out of the mess what Paul is saying is thanks be to God because Jesus has come I have an example of victorious living. I have one who met the devil face to face, and you've never met the devil face to face, but Jesus has. And he says, I have overcome the world. And he did it his way. So, that, sit back. You can take your seatbelt off. <coughs> the next bit is the hope of a glorious reality. But it's still challenging. So Paul says, you really can have this life, this victorious life, if you do it the Jesus way. You see, what's going off right now is a massive battle against idolatry. What? What? Idolatry? Yeah. It's called self-worship. I'm talking to you. About you. About how you think about yourself. About whether you really do believe that the abandonment of you to God will make you even better than you being boss of your life. And I have to tell you, after 75 years on this planet, I am still squirming and wriggling for all my worth. Not to make me God of my life. I like me. I like pleasing me. I've got, I've got appetites. I've still got a bit of vigor. I've still got this brain. Harry Seacombe sang it, if I ruled the world, I'd love to rule the world. I really would. Maybe not. Um, you get it. 
there's all gods within us. But this hope of glorious reality, Paul, Paul takes us to Philippians. And he writes to the church at Philippi. Uh, and, he, and he says some, some lovely things about Jesus. And he, he, he says this. Let this mindset be in you. He, he said a few words before that. He says, if it really is worthwhile being a Christian, and Paul says, for God's sake, don't be Christians if you're going to live without faith. He said, you're in no man's land. You're miserable because you're not sinning. And you're miserable because you can't sin. I mean, my, my God, and there's nothing so stupid as being a Christian without believing in God. There's nothing so stupid. I mean, some of you might be happy being religious. I, I'm not religious. God help me. I'd be a pagan if I wasn't saved. I'm a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And he says, let... This is, this, is, this is great. He says, let this attitude be in you. Let this mindset. This is, here we go to the mind. What was the mindset of Jesus? He's literally saying, if you want to win the battle against the enemy in your mind, then command your mind... To be like Jesus. Command your... Have you ever commanded your mind to be like Jesus? Not sure I have. But I, th I think I'm going to work a bit harder at this. You see, if, you, if, you, if anybody know anything about the aviation industry, and particularly pilots, then this word attitude really mean something because attitude is the terminology that the pilots give for the angle of which an aircraft takes off and lands it's quite crucial because if the pilots get the attitude of the plane wrong it crashes Having the right attitude is an issue of life and death. I learned that many years ago. Being in the ministry, you are in the front line of the battle. I've talked to you about one or two incidences. I could spend a long time talking about the flak and the wounds and the battles. And God, a number of years ago, taught me a very simple lesson. My attitude is more important than my opinion. And you know me well enough, I'm full of opinions. I want to rule the world. I want to lead every church that I'm involved in. They're doing all right, but, but I mean, I'm me. I'm, I'm, full of, I'm full of opinion. But I have to understand something, that my opinion means nothing if I've got the wrong attitude the wrong approach to life. And Jesus, Jesus, Jesus 
taught us how to have the right approach to life. Three attitudes of Christ, and I've, I've done. Uh, and I will be more than one minute, 42 seconds. But I won't be that long. Something that you think this is, this is really mundane. And you've heard it a thousand times before. But Jesus wants you to have a new attitude to worship. Let me, let me just distinguish this. The words we sang this morning were great. There's many, and I'm not literally talking about songs. We can apply our minds to what God can do. It's terrific. It's called praise. My God can do anything. That's worthy about thinking about. We, we can focus on what God has done. We've got stories. We've got evidence that God is faithful. That's called thanksgiving. We're stirred by what we know that God can do. And, and we've got our own stories of what he's done for us. So we can pray, God, will you do something amazing in our community? That's called prophecy. Speaking the goodness of God to another generation. None of those elements are worship. Worship is focusing entirely on who he is. No matter what he does, what he can do, what he has done, what he will do, all laudable, all part of our, 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 our devotional life to Jesus. I'm not saying cut them out, not at all. But worship is simply applying my mind totally on who he is. And why do I say that? Because, because Paul says this. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus had. Though he was God. Though he knew who he was. Do you know the biggest element of Jesus of Nazareth's life? Do you know what it was? It was worship. Every day he got up and had communion with his father. And it wasn't his disciples. It wasn't even reading the old manuscripts. It was communion with the Father that as he declared that the creator of the world, the Father, was his Father, the dawning realization of Jesus of Nazareth, this young boy, before his ministry started, it came on him more and more and more, the realization of who he was. The first victory that we have to win, to win this battle in our minds, is to know who we are. Because the devil is an identity thief. You haven't got the right parents. You haven't had the right education. You've lived under the wrong government. You didn't get the right wages. In fact, you live in a world that's full of stinking, lousy, vile injustice. I want justice. 
you might want it. You don't need it. What you need to know is I'm chosen. I'm planned. I'm John Pettifer. Planned before time began that on October the 18th, 1948, in a little terraced house on Carlton Hill, I would start my journey with Jesus Christ for a few decades, serve him and reign with him forever. I'm a son of God. And no devil, no liar, no thief is going to take it from me. And the reality is, friends, with all the good upbringing that I've had, with all the teaching that I've had, with fantastic periods, and I've got no complaints about how my life's planned out. But the reality is, is that it has been worship that as I've gazed on who he is, that he's revealed to me who I am. Thank God, praise God, have your thanksgiving, prophesy in your prayers, bring all those things, but find that time at the center part of your day, morning and night, to say, God, I focus on nothing but who you are. It's right to do it, but the reward is that you know. So Jesus, knowing through his worship to the Father, in his new approach to worship, had a new perspective on service. In other words, he knew how to become a frontline trooper. <laughs> and then he goes on about, he humbled himself. He made himself of no reputation. The greatest human being that ever walked on this planet made himself of no reputation. This is so countercultural in the world in which we live. Self-elevation. Dog eat dog. I, you know, I, I, I liked the first, the first series of The Apprentice. I loved it. I hate it. Because the whole thing is focused on, on, on killing, rat, of, of, of destroying reputation, to push yourself to the front. And here we've got the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he says, your attitude through worship, through knowing who you are, that thrusting your chest out, that saying, I really am a child of God and I am now perfectly equipped to humble myself and to serve. You see, Jesus served from a position of nobility, not captivity. He wasn't part of the slave army. He understood that service, humility, was a privilege, not a duty. God grant that we have churches where there's no need for rotors. God grant that the Holy Spirit turns up in our lives that the leaders have to say, we've got this need or we've got that need. Because we, we, we are massively Secure in who Christ has made us. And we're saying, God, how can I serve you? To the extent you'll come to Cape Nally and say, what can I do? 
And you won't be niffed if they say, we don't want you to do that. Because humility and servanthood is not selective. It's a spirit attitude. And you trust them and trust God that you will serve in your gifts. <laughs> and all that leads to a real expectation of blessing. You, you, you may call me deluded, um, but, but I think my future's rosy. I, I, I look back and God's been good. I've got the best gift. 51 years. She's my heart. She's my joy. She's bone of my bone, flesh of my... She's, and God planned her for me. I believe it. I, I, I've got story after story to tell you that I am utterly committed to this truth that God has gone out of his way to bless me. He's gone out of his way to bless me. But of course... You know that anyway, because you all love the Bible and you all read Psalm 23, where he says, goodness and mercy shall pursue me, chase me all the days of my life. And you can recite it like the little girl and you might, and I can't do what she did. I, can, I might be able to do Psalm 91, but I can't do it in one breath. <laughs> but the reality is it's in us. But the battle in your mind, because you're walking wounded, because you're a prisoner of war, it's no more than a text in your Bible. It's no more than a lyric on the overhead. It has no semblance of reality in your everyday. That all the rubbish that the world wants to poison you with, you can't see it as a lie. But we live as victims. But he has said, I've come to give you life, victory, blessing, joy. So life in all its fullness is defined. It starts in me. The greatness about this message is I'm preaching it to me. So I'm saying, Amen, John. I've really got this. I knew it, but I've got it because I've said it again to me. I'm, I'm, my mind, even as I'm speaking, is saying, God, I really believe this. Do you? Do you? See, if you do, then it will impact this church. If it really impacts this church, you won't have enough nativity cards next year. Because it will impact the community because, because the world doesn't need a contemporary, relevant kind of nudging up sideways where we fit in and, and play, please bear with us as this progressive kind of theology that says, actually, it's called liberal, unbelieving, not radical 
not dynamically filled with the Holy Spirit of God, that I am gloriously, irrevocably saved for eternity, living a life of purpose that no man can snatch from me. And that same Saviour calls me to be radically holy, radically different. Oh, that's a bit OTT. I've done. You know where OTT comes from? Comes from the trenches in the First World War. Over the top. Yes, I'm over the top. I'm not in the bunker. I'm not, I'm not just got my helmet on. Yeah, I don't like the idea of the shells and the bombs coming down. And I do need the armor of God to protect me. But, but I'm believing that my commander blows the whistle at the right time. And that I've got weapons of my warfare that will protect my life and see the victory of Jesus come and the devil defeated. <laughs> oh, that was a funny advent one, wasn't it? I have come that you might have life and all its fullness. So, I've done. Safe, a nice, safe ending. Let's pray. Let's safely say, Holy Spirit, will you come? Let's safely say, Lord, put this word into my heart and into my mind and keep it and preserve it. Or, Shall we not be quite as safe this morning? And instead of saying, not only I have decided to follow Jesus, because that's safe in an atmosphere like this, but what is radical, what really displays my faith, that Jesus Christ has come for me, to give me life is that I talk to my mind and say I will face my mind I will confront my thoughts I will go to war with the notions that have been deposited in me for generations for years for months for weeks even in this service this morning is there anybody that will join me at the front and say, I'm going to go to war on my mind with Jesus. I'm going to say, Jesus, in your strength, I'm going to start thinking differently. And the real challenge, church, is I'm going to think differently about me. Not think differently about him or her or them, but I'm going to think differently about me. So anybody want to join me? Ali was quite right. We're forgetting no end of stuff. I don't know whether you're a frontline troop. I don't know whether you're walking wounded. I don't know whether you're a prisoner of war, but I want you to tell you that King Jesus is calling you. Here's an old-fashioned song. 
joyfully enlisting by your grace divine I am on the Lord's side Saviour you are mine don't worry too much about chairs people people can just stand and come I'm not going to extend it because it's, um, there's no coercion but I just say one more time is there anyone else that this morning will say God I stand and will go to war against the mindsets that battle in me now we do say Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit come just invite the Holy Spirit because well done well done for being vulnerable well done and there's no condemnation for those of you that are sitting but well done and you hear the word of the Lord that you can't win this battle in your own strength but the Lord will help you the Lord will strengthen you and I pray, Lord Jesus, for an advent for these people, particularly these standing, that you will come into their minds, into their thinking. I pray that you'll break into their circumstances so that this will no longer be promised, but it will be reality. I pray that there will be something supernatural take place a new relationship with Jesus, a new relationship with the Holy Spirit, a new relationship with your word, that, that the word of God becomes a sword rather than a book and that they'll go from strength to strength. <laughs> You're going to be different. They're going to be different, church. New relationships. They're not going to get involved in some conversations that they got involved in in the past. They're not going to get there. Not going to get in the scandal. Not going to get in the cheesy gossip. Not going to get in the intrigue. The thing that we love so comfortable makes us nice, feel, makes us feel we belong because we have a bit of backstabbing. It's all going to go for these people that win the battle in their minds well it is over to you Holy Spirit